exist to see God glorified and disciples multiplied through the power of the gospel. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. If you did not bring a Bible, there should be tons around you. Feel free and grab one of those. We're going to be starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 31. Verse 31. So while you're turning, let me give you a little bit of background about this passage. An angel has just appeared to the Virgin Mary. And at first, Mary is terrified because most of the time when angels show up in the Bible, they're ready to kill someone. And instead, the angel says, fear not, God is actually greatly pleased with you. And he gives her an announcement. And so this is the point in the story we find out where it's announced to Mary, you're going to have the Son of God. You're going to give birth even though you're a virgin. And I know we know all about the story. We know about the circumstances of Jesus' birth. Most of us in this room could probably recite these verses from memory. And I know that I can't even remember the first time that I heard these verses. They're so common to us. And, and as we get this beautiful picture of what Christmas is and why we celebrate it, I think that we just need to be on guard that this passage is not so familiar that we miss the beauty of it. So I want us to pray right now that God would allow us to see the beauty that's in this passage. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you led the Magi's by the star. You announced the news to the shepherds by your angels. And we ask that you would guide us tonight by the power of your Holy Spirit. I've heard this story so many times that it feels old and musty to us, but we ask you to make it new. Help us to hear your voice through your word tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The birth of Jesus is so significant that it literally splits human history into two. We have BC, which means before Christ, and AD, Anno Domini, which in the Latin means in the year of our Lord. And in recent years, there have been some who tried to change those titles. And instead of AD, you have CE, which means current era. era. And instead of BC, you have BCE, which means before current era. And that just kind of makes me laugh because it makes you want to ask, what was the event that was so big that it split the new era into the old era? It feels like to me that it just draws more attention to the question. And the answer, of course, is the birth and the coming of Jesus Christ. His birth had such a profound impact that we split history in two because of him. But his life is also so controversial that now he's the elephant in the room that we don't want to talk about. So what makes Jesus so important and yet so controversial that he changed the course of human history, but now he's the elephant in the room? See, my prayer tonight is that we would understand who Jesus was and is and why he changed the world. Why we'd understand that point. Because in Luke chapter 1, we're going to see two reasons for the season. Two reasons why Jesus came. Why he was born and why he changed the course of human history. Why is he so significant and why is he so controversial? Because Jesus is the Savior of the world and because he is Lord of all. You may have noticed in the bulletin that the points are different from this. I like these points better. So ignore the bulletin points. These are the good points. So we'll start with that first reason for the season. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Look with me to verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The angel give, gives Mary the news of what God is going to do. But in verse 31, the angel also gives her some instructions. You are to name him Jesus. Not Joseph like his father. Not John like his cousin. Not David like his great-great-great-grandfather. <clears throat> but Jesus. So, of course, it begs the question, why must his name be 
Jesus. Jesus' name in the Hebrew, Yeshua, literally means Yahweh saves or the Lord God saves. In the book of Matthew, we're actually told to, to Joseph, the father, in a dream by an angel, you're to name him Jesus, namely because he's going to save his people from their sins. In Jesus' very name, we get a picture of who he is and why he was born. He's the savior of the world. But that implies doesn't, uh, something, doesn't it? Jesus' name tells us that we need a savior from our sins and the consequences of our sins. And let me tell you the worst news in the world that you can hear tonight. God is good. And you may say, well, that doesn't sound like bad news at all. It sounds like good news. Well, let me ask you, what does a good God do with people who are not good? God is so holy, so righteous, so good. Then the Bible, it says that he cannot even look at wickedness with favor. God is good, and that means that he will punish evil. God is good, and so he's going to punish Saddam Hussein. He's going to punish Adolf Hitler. He's going to judge murderers and rapists. But he's so good, he's also going to punish liars and thieves and everyone else. All of us. He's going to punish all of those who break his holy laws. Let me tell you my story. I grew up in South Louisiana where the public schools were terrible. And, and so my parents, even though we were not Catholic, sent me to Catholic school because we needed to just get him and, and my other brothers into a school that could actually teach us things like math. So we went to Catholic school, and of course they did have math and they had excellent education, but we also had religion class every day. And one day in this religion class, the teacher was going over the fourth commandment, thou shalt honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Now I believed in the heart of my heart that I was a good person. I even thought, hey, I get pretty good grades in this class, and all the other kids who aren't Protestant, they're Catholic, they should know this more than I do, and I get better grades than them. Look how more righteous I am than them. I mean, that's how arrogant I was. And, and I had this view in myself, I'm a good person. I, am the, I was the good kid in my family. I always did what my parents told me. I believed in God, I believed in the Bible, but there was one thing in my life that was inconsistent. I absolutely hated going to church. The most boring and depressing place in the world was the church. And my family went every now and then. But my brothers and I figured out that if we complained enough, that if we made it difficult enough for my mom on Sunday mornings, she would give up and we could sleep in and watch cartoons. And that's what we did quite often. But in that classroom, as my teacher was teaching on the Sabbath and the importance of going to church, I suddenly got pretty worried. And so I raised my hand and I asked the teacher, hey, hey well, what happens if you miss a Sunday? And she was actually very sweet. She was very gentle. I was just, I think... Uh, sixth grader at the time, and she looked at me and said, oh, honey, you know, if you, if you get a flat tire, God's not going to send you to hell for that. Don't worry. And I was terrified because I have never had as good an excuse as a flat tire. I said, oh, no, I'm going to hell. And, and, and I was terrified in, in that moment. And as the days went on, she kept going through the commandments. And one after one, I realized, oh, I've failed in there, and I've broken that commandment. And oh, I've disobeyed my parents, and I've lied before, and this and that and the others. And, and it was this condemnation that I felt because I was a commandment breaker. And you might have walked in here tonight and thought, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm definitely going to heaven. But let me ask you, have you ever told a lie? Because the ninth commandment says, thou shalt not lie. And then ask you the next question. How many lies have you then told? Is it tens of lies, hundreds, thousands? Can you even count the number of lies that you told in your lifetime? I can't. 
The Tenth Commandment says, Thou shalt not covet. Which usually doesn't get us except around Christmas time. Let me ask you, have you ever been jealous of what others have? Christmas has become so commercialized that we have a billion-dollar industry built around making you covet. They want to sell you something. They want to try to make you dissatisfied with what God has already given you, and we fall for it every time. My story was about breaking the fourth commandment, so let me ask you, have you ever skipped church? Not for good reasons, not because of COVID or a flat tire because you were sick, but because you wanted to do what you wanted to do more than worship God in the way that he commands us to. And listen, I'm not up here saying this because I kept all the other ones. It was just the Sabbath that I had. I've broken all the Ten Commandments. You want to go down? I am a failure. I am a sinner. We've all sinned. We've all broken his commandments. And that's terrible news because God is good and he must punish evil. And he's so good that he's going to punish you and I if we do not have a savior. But here's the good news of Christmas. Jesus came to save us from our sin and the judgment of God that comes with it. He came and lived the perfect life that you and I have failed to live. He never lied. He never coveted anything. He always honored the Sabbath perfectly. He was the only perfect man to ever live, but then he died the death of a sinner. He was nailed to a cross and he was executed because he claimed to be God And the Pharisees were the ones who accused him. The Romans were the ones who tortured him. But God the Father was the one who sent God the Son to the cross to be the sacrifice of the world. And on that cross, Jesus suffered as a substitute for commandment breakers like you and like me. He shed his blood so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then three days later, he rose from the dead defeating death, hell, and the grave. And he proved that he was who he said he was. And he demonstrated that his sacrifice was enough to save anyone and everyone who puts their faith and trust in him. The angel said to Mary, you shall call his name Jesus because Jesus is the savior of the world. Amen? Amen. This is the story of Christmas. But it doesn't end there. That's the first reason for the season, that Jesus is the savior of the world. But there's another reason. Jesus is also Lord of all. Look with me to verses 32 through 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. In these verses we find three glorious truths. We find that Jesus is truly God. We find that he's truly man and that he is the eternal king of the universe. Verse 32 describes Jesus as the son of the most high. Jesus was not simply some great teacher or philosopher. He was not just another prophet in a long line of prophets. He was and is the true God of the universe. John 1 says that by Jesus, all things were made and without Jesus, nothing that has been made was made. When Jesus was here, he claimed to be one with God the Father, And the Pharisees said, you're making yourself out to be equal with God. And they picked up stones to kill him. And it was at this moment that there was some kind of miscommunication. He could have cleared it up easily. No, I didn't say I was God. I said, I am a dog or I really liked. I mean, that's that's not what he did. He stood by his claims to death. He never clarified, but he was equal with God. And in verse 32, we don't just see that he's son of the most high. It also calls him the son of David. So which is it? (coughs) Is he son of the most high or is he the son of David? 
answer is he's both because he's truly God from all of eternity. But the Christmas miracle is this. God took on flesh. Jesus was made a man just like us in every way except without sin, but he never ceased being God. And this is so important because if Jesus is not truly God and truly man, there is no Christmas. There is no Savior. There is no salvation. Our Savior had to be truly God because only someone who is infinite could bear the infinite punishment for sin. Our Savior also had to be truly man because only a man could represent all of humanities on the cross. And that's the big question of the Bible. Only God could pay for sins, but only man could die for man. So how is it possible that anyone be saved? It shouldn't be possible, but through God, all things are possible. Christ, the everlasting Lord, was born of a virgin in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Though he was king of the universe, he was born in a stable, laid low in a manger. But even though he was born in poverty, he was descended from royalty. That's why verse 32 calls his father David. Back when David was king in Israel, God made a promise to David that he would raise up one of David's sons. And this son was going to sit on the throne and he's going to be a righteous king. He was going to rule perfectly and his kingdom would never end. So David has a couple kids. Solomon is the next one in the line. He is on the throne. And at first it seems like, is this the promised king who's going to rule with righteousness and rule forever? But then as time goes on, he becomes corrupt and eventually he dies and he does not reign forever. And king after king in the Old Testament, we never see this righteous son of David who reigns forever until eventually there's, there's not even a wicked son of David on the throne. There's no son of David on the throne. Rome takes over and there's no son of David sitting on the throne at all. But then Jesus shows up and he is the promised king of Israel. And right now he is seated on the throne in heaven. But when he returns, he will bring heaven to earth and establish his rule and reign in his kingdom. And it shall have no end. And then it becomes clear why Christmas is so controversial. The true meaning of Christmas is not that Jesus was a wise philosopher and told us to be nice to everyone. Though you should, love your family, be nice. That's a good thing to do. That's not why Jesus came. The meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is the Lord of all the earth and he demands our worship. The true meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is the Savior of the world, and that's offensive to those who don't believe they need a Savior. So what do we do with these two reasons for the seasons? Well, I've got two pastoral charges for you, two ways that you can take these truths and apply them to your lives this Christmas season and hopefully all year round. First pastoral charge, trust in Jesus as Savior. Trust in Jesus as Savior. Let me finish that story that I started telling a little earlier. Back whenever I was a kid, I was convinced I was going to hell because I had broken God's commandments. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew he was the savior of the world. But in my mind, I still thought, I've got to do my part. And, and so as an 11-year-old kid in a Catholic school, what you do in that situation is you go to the confession booth. So as an 11-year-old, I go to the confession booth and I sit down and I said, Father, forgive me for I have sinned. My last confession was five years ago. And this priest looks at me, this 11-year-old who hasn't been to confession in five years, and he says, why, is it has, how, why has it been so long since your last confession? And I tell him, oh, it's because I'm not actually a member of the Catholic Church. And he says, oh, well, then I can't forgive your sins. And I thought, oh, no, this isn't good. 
And the priest was actually a really kind man. He tried to get me to join the church so that he could forgive me, but I had no interest whatsoever. I still in my heart hated going to church, had no desire to be a part of it. I was so terrified of going to hell, but at the same time, that was asking too much. That was a bridge too far. But thankfully, God pursued me even when I had no desire for him. Around this time, my dad goes to church and he has this born-again experience, becomes this crazy kind of zealot and says, we're going to be a church-going family, we're going to church every Sunday, and we were furious with him. Made me go to Bible camp, and I'm like, what do you even do at Bible camp? You sit around a campfire, you sing Kumbaya, what is that? He forced me to go, and I'm furious with him. But it was at that camp that I heard about the grace of God. Ephesians 2 says, salvation is by grace through faith. It's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The gift of Christmas is the gift of Jesus. It is impossible to earn your own salvation. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came down to earn it for us. In fact, the book of Galatians says that if we're trying to make ourselves right with God by keeping his law, then we're cut off from Christ. It's by faith alone in him, not by works. It's only by trusting alone the sacrifice that saves anyone. So this Christmas, what are you trusting? Where is your hope? Where is your peace? Your good work cannot save you. Your church attendance cannot save you. Your baptism cannot save you. If you pray the sinner's prayer every night before you go to bed, saying a prayer cannot save you. Only faith in Jesus alone can save you. So trust in Jesus as the Savior. That's the first pastoral charge. Second pastoral charge. Submit to Jesus as Lord. Submit to Jesus as Lord. Christmas is not just about the coming of a Savior, but the coming of a King. There are millions of people in our country alone who claim Jesus as their Savior, yet deny them every day with their lives. See, in Luke 1, we find a Jesus who is both Savior and Lord. In the words of Pastor David Platt, it is not possible to use Jesus as Savior and to refuse him as Lord. And you may be sitting there, wait a minute, Pastor, didn't you just say it's by faith alone in Jesus? It's a gift? Why are you telling me I've got to make him Lord? Let me explain why. Imagine a father who goes on a camping trip with his son and they set up camp near a river and the father says to his son, I'm going to take a nap. You can do whatever you want to pass the time, but whatever you do, do not go into the river. And he takes the nap and the son, after a while, he entertains himself and he gets bored and he keeps looking at the boat and he keeps looking at the river and eventually he decides, I can go out. So he goes out in the river, he gets out his fishing pole, but then after a minute, he realizes that the river is infested with crocodiles. And before he knows it, he is surrounded. And the next thing he knows, he blacks out. While passes, he doesn't know how long, and he is on the shore of the riverbank, and he is untouched, unscarred, unscathed. He has no idea what happens until he turns and sees his father bloodied and bruised and barely breathing on the side of him. Now, if that boy, after seeing the sacrifice of the father, goes back into the river... Has he understood what the Father has done? Not at all. Submitting to Jesus as Lord doesn't save you, but if you can say that Jesus is your Savior, but still live like everyone else, then you haven't understood the gravity of what Jesus has done on the cross. So trust in Him. Make sure Jesus is your, own, your whole hope and that you have true and abiding faith in Jesus. Trust Him. Call on Him. Ask Him to save you right now. 
And I'd say just during this, this Christmas time, I think it's so important for us to have our hearts in the right space. So I'm going to do something we don't even normally do on Sunday mornings. What I'm going to do right now is, is I want us to just have some time of reflection before we finish off with the last song. So just wherever you're at, I, I just say pray to God right now and ask him and make sure that your heart's in the right place and that you're trusting fully and wholly in Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter what your story is this Christmas Eve, I, I'd say that if you want to know more about following Jesus, if you feel like your heart may not be right, if you want to make sure that you know where you're going after you die, then, then fill out one of those communication cards. Come talk to me. Um, that's what we're here for. Hi, Taylor Callen, pastor of Oregon Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon. I pray that you are more encouraged and love Jesus and the gospel more after hearing the sermon than when you first sat down to listen to it. Know that, that our heart at this church is that this sermon would be an encouragement to you and would be a useful resource, but would in no way replace the pastor that God has called to shepherd you or the church that you're called to be a member of. With that being said, if you want more information about our church or want to hear more sermons, go to horicanbaptist.com.